Speaking of letters, like written, written physical ones, I was uh, looking at an old photo recently, a, a printed photo. You know, one of those ones that you, that you wait for at the photo center and then you get them and only half of them are good. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So I was looking at an old photo and, uh, and there was someone in the photo uh, that I recognized, but I couldn't figure out who it was. And so um, I wanted a closer look at this person. And so I took my fingers and put them on the photo and tried to, <laughs> tried to zoom in on a physical photo. And then I was like, Oh, that didn't work. And I just sent myself into fits of giggles because here I am trying to do something that technology allowed me to do, but this physical photo did not allow me to do. So you want to know how I zoomed in? Brought it closer to my face. <laughs> that's like that's like how they used to do it when they couldn't figure out who was on the photo. Please don't tell me I'm the only one to ever have done this. Have you done this? Please. You just laughed at me. That's all you did. Okay. I'm the only one that tries to zoom in on physical photos. Yes, yes. Here we are in a series uh, in Acts where we have been looking at the, the Spirit's movement with people at the, at the end of Jesus' life, after Jesus has ascended into heaven, and, and, and the church, this thing called the church, has, has just begun. And we're going to hang out uh, in Acts 18 through 20 today, but I want us to, to zoom out a little bit if we would you know, zoom out, uh, to be able to see a wider look at Acts as a whole, because there are some things I don't want us to miss that ha have been going on and that are going on and that will be going on in the whole book of Acts. You see, these chapters, Acts 18 through 20, they are uh, smack dab in the middle of what we call Paul's missionary journeys. He traveled around, he made friends, he had a suitcase Maybe. Maybe it had wheels. We don't know. Um, and see, uh, in the beginning of chapter 18, Paul is finishing up his, his second missionary journey, as they uh, articulate it. And he is beginning his new missionary journey right in the middle of Acts 18, uh, starting 1823, okay? Uh, Pastor Paul shared last week that he's not the map guy. Um, he and I are married, by the way, and, and he's not the map guy of the relationship. I, I'm the map gal uh, of the relationship. He resolves a lot of our problems, uh, but he also creates some of them when we're driving. I'm the one to get us places. Uh, that's one of the problems that I can resolve. The other stuff, pff, he's got that covered, but I can get us places. So I want us to look at this map of Paul's missionary, or what's called Paul's missionary journey, so we can pay attention a little bit. All right, here's the good map. If you're like me, sometimes it's hard to see. Uh, but Paul always started his missionary journeys in Antioch. That's on the um, right side of your screen. I'm really bad with right and left. North, south, east, west, I can get you anywhere, but right or left, no. Uh, so he always starts in Antioch. In this third missionary journey, he goes uh, through Galatia. You can see Galatia. Do you see that? Uh, Galatia and Phrygia. You can see that right kind of near uh, Galatia. Uh, so then he gets to Ephesus. Do you see that kind of like mid of the, of the screen? And we're going to hang out in Ephesus today. Uh, and then he goes through Macedonia. You can see big Macedonia. Uh, and, and through Greece. You can see that too, to Troas. Where is it? 
See, there it is. Okay, Troas, you can see that. Um, and then through Philippi, we're not going to hang out there, but you know, what the, uh, Paul wrote a letter there. And then he eventually lands in Corinth. Corinth is on the left side of the screen, mid down. Do you see it right there? He lands there in Corinth, and we're going to uh, hang out in Corinth. So you and I are on a journey with uh, Paul and actually the Holy Spirit to Ephesus and Corinth today. But as you see, beautiful map, it's great, but as we, we zoom out um, from just the map or just uh, where Paul went on his journeys, I want us to see these journeys in the context of all of Acts. Because the book of Acts is not just about human characters like Paul. Paul is not the main character in the book of Acts. The main character in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is on the move. The Holy Spirit has been on the move. Because the Holy Spirit was was, uh, given by Jesus at the very beginning of the book. And the Holy Spirit is the reason that we have any sort of of movement or formation or reformation or revival or advancement or mission at all in the book of Acts. I would even say that, that these missionary journeys, what we call Paul's missionary journeys, aren't Paul's missionary journeys at all. These are the Holy Spirit's missionary journeys. And Paul was just a partner along the way. We're going to pick up what Paul shared with with the Ephesian leaders in response to kind of all of this movement that he has been a part of. And so will you read with me? This is Acts chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 17, and we're going to go all the way until verse 24. I would invite you to to have a Bible or at least access to it because we're going to be jumping around a little bit today because two chapters in one sermon, that's a, Um, so we're going to, we're going to be hanging, hang out and jumping around, but that way you can kind of make sure that I'm not going crazy and that these stories are actually in these two chapters. How about that? Um, But here we are, Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17. For Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Holy Spirit, I underline that, compelled by the Holy Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Man, he's good. (laughs) The thought I want us to settle on today is that 
everything we read and experience in Acts takes place inside the knowing of the Holy Spirit. Every place, every uh, every place that Paul traveled, every word that Paul said in the places he traveled, every word that he said after he was gone from that place and sent letters back to that place, everything was inside the knowing of the Holy Spirit. These were the Holy Spirit's missionary journeys. Because the Holy Spirit was already there in the places that Paul showed up. Paul didn't bring the Holy Spirit with him, having been converted. I'll carry around the Holy Spirit with me and bring it to these places. No, the Holy Spirit was already there. And Paul joins God in what God is already doing in all of these places that Paul goes. These are not Paul's missionary journeys. These are the Holy Spirit's missionary journeys. And so inside the Spirit's knowing Paul is on a journey. And though uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is known for speaking with authority and definitiveness, you know, I've always longed for a little more nuance from Paul, but that was not his task. Though he was known for his authority and definitiveness, uh, he did not have the authority over where he was going. And he lived, as, as we heard him say, in the ambiguity of moving along with God. Willie James Jennings uh, suggests that Acts author, uh, Acts author Luke is doing something for us. Uh, Luke is, is marking Paul's journey with the journey of Jesus. That there are similarities along the way between the way that Jesus was in the world and the way that Paul chooses to be in the world. Because there are similarities between uh, suffering and rejection. There are intersections with those who are sick or in need. There was healing. There was restoration. There was miracles. There was the ordinary stuff. There was the extraordinary stuff. And Luke wants us to know uh, that Paul is not a lone ranger out on this mission with a very specific message. No, he was a co-journeyer with Jesus. And that Paul was uninterested in anything but the life of Jesus transferred to the people. That's all he wanted. That was his task. That was his only aim. The life of Jesus transferred to the people. He did this in, in a lot of different places, but I want us to pay attention to, to two of them uh, specifically this morning. This is in Corinth and in Ephesus. Let me give you a little history lesson on Corinth and Ephesus because, you know, it's fun. You see, Corinth is in uh, modern-day Greece. And uh, Corinth, if you were to zoom in uh, on the city in ancient days, you would notice there were two harbors and they had a railroad didn't know they had railroads in those times, but they had a railroad. And so Corinth was a very prosperous city. Not a lot of cities had two harbors and a railroad. Uh, it was the center of worship for Aphrodite. You may know that name. This is the Greek goddess of love. I find it interesting if you know 1 Corinthians, that 1 Corinthians 13 is all about love. Paul is speaking very specifically to the people in Corinth. And because of this uh, center of worship of Aphrodite, uh, the town was known for its obsession with sexual promiscuity. 
And it was all under this guise of love, of Aphrodite's love. And so Paul arrives, when he arrives in Corinth, he is uh, worn out, he is weak, he is fearful, and he says he is trembling. These are actually his words quoted in 1 Corinthians 2. And so Paul spent a lot of his time reasoning in the synagogues, but he was rejected because that message or that reasoning wasn't very exciting to the people. And so instead of continuing with the synagogues, he just decides to, 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 to step away from that. And he goes next door. Like there's a synagogue and then there's a house. And he goes next door to the house. And in that, that little simple adjustment, right, responding to the Holy Spirit's movement, that simple adjustment is what uh, like blew up the Corinthian church right next to a synagogue. Very interesting. Now, uh, Paul then moved along, traveled a little further, and ended up in Ephesus. Ephesus is a modern-day Turkey. And it was a political hub. It was like a state capital, okay? So a lot of people showed up there to lobby for the things they wanted, to legislate, to make decisions. It was also the center of worship for Artemis, which was the goddess of fertility. Very interesting. Aphrodite... Artemis, there is some sort of connection there. And in Paul's time, Ephesus had lost its political and commercial aptitude. Though it was uh, a poor town, they, uh, they were really weakened and they felt exposed. And so the city was losing its power, its authority, uh, its political hold, and that was a threat. Let's be honest to say that these are quite complicated locations for the gospel, right? <laughs> Very complicated. We don't know anything about complicated in our life. But complicated doesn't hinder the spirit. Complicated doesn't hinder the spirit. I can think of a million and one situations that need to be reminded of this truth that complicated doesn't hinder the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't wait for things to become un uncomplicated to show up there. The Spirit's not looking for a sense of calm or peace. The Spirit isn't looking for us to find our center in order to be there. No. Look uh, at some of the situations, looking at some of the situations that Paul met along the way. These situations, specifically in Acts 18 through 20, didn't hinder the Holy Spirit, it actually perpetuated the Holy Spirit. These complicated matters actually advanced God's work in these very complicated locations with very complicated situations. I want to give you a list of the things that did not hinder the Spirit of God in Corinth or in Ephesus. We read in 18, uh, chapter 18, 12, that there was a legal battle didn't hinder the spirit. In 1818, <clears throat> uh, we hear about, um, pardon me, let me find them, Priscilla and Aquila. Now, they held a secular vocation. They were tent makers. And we would think, oh, that's complicated. Spirit can't work within that. Spirit did. In chapter 19, verses 13 through 16, there were evil spirits, even uh, uh, mental health struggles. 
These did not complicate the work of the Spirit. In chapter 19, 23 through 41, there were riots and violence and imprisonment. Didn't hinder the Spirit. In chapter 20, verses 7 through 12, we hear about Eutychus who, who falls asleep. He is tired. He falls out of window. He dies. Fatigue, sleepiness, weariness, death. Sometimes could be complicated, especially when you're walking around feeling it. Did not hinder the Spirit of God. And then, later in chapter 20, Paul is doing the work of, of leaving, of saying goodbye, of separating from people that he loves and he cares about. And even this does not hinder the Holy Spirit. These complications don't hinder the Spirit. But the Spirit was actually found in these complications. The mission of God advanced through some of these things. But there were some things in these specific places that hindered the Holy Spirit. And they were this, idolatry, economic prosperity, social and political standing, and theology. What I find so intriguing is that these hindrances, idolatry, economic prosperity, social and political standing, and theology, these hindrances were actually nothing new to Paul. These were the same things that maintained his resistance to the Holy Spirit before his conversion. These were the same things that perpetuated his zeal for persecuting the people who loved Jesus. You see, he was just like the Corinthians. He was just like the Ephesians. He knew, he knew the obstructions to the Spirit because they used to obstruct him. He knew the obstructions to the Spirit because they used to obstruct him. And let's be honest, these things that obstruct the Spirit, idols, economic prosperity, politics, and theology, these too obstruct the Spirit from our own lives and our own ways of being as a Christian community. Let's be honest about idols. We have a lot of things that we put in front of or before God. I have found myself idolizing my opinion before ever considering God's response. I have found myself idolizing productivity or happiness or even a sense of calm and control before I ever look to God. These things become my God because I willingly give my life to these things or I give my life in pursuit of these things, not even thinking about what God wants or what God wills, not even thinking about the God who created productivity or happiness, the God who authored calm or control. I pursue them on my own. And I idolize them. I wonder if you might identify some idols in your life. And then there's economic prosperity. We've bought into the lie that to be blessed is to be affluent. 
We've equated our, our financial well-being with our spiritual well-being as individuals. Certainly, we've also done this as a church. I often have to resist the temptation to equate my salary, which, by the way, I receive from the church, as a measure for my spiritual effectiveness and health as a pastor. I've had to repent of that. I'm repenting of it. You see, when we use financial prosperity as the primary tool by which we measure the Spirit's activity among us, we're actually hindering the Spirit's. When we consider our personal economic gains as the primary tool to assess our need for God, we hinder the Spirit. And then there's politics. Everyone take a deep breath. When we rely on politics to achieve what the church is called to do by the Spirit of God, we hinder the Spirit. When we edify our personal preference for a leader or a political party while ostracizing someone who disagrees with us, we have placed politics before the Spirit of God who unites us. Not only does politics become the idol, but it becomes the means of our own destruction. When I typed that last sentence, I paused and stood up from my computer and walked away because sometimes repentance comes out of my fingers before it comes into my heart. I'm guilty. And then there's theology. When we place the study of God, which is what theology is, before actually listening to and acting in accordance with God, we hinder the Spirit. Good, rich, spirit-led work takes place within the realms of theology, certainly. But if the study of it becomes a God in and of itself, we miss the spirit who is seeking to say something, who is seeking to do something, who is seeking to change us. These hindrances sometimes feel like part and parcel of being human. How could we ever get away from these hindrances? How could we ever avoid them? And this is where you and I, we, me, cling to Jesus. I so appreciated uh, Pastor Paul's explanation of the gospel last week, that, that the gospel reaches for people. Gospel isn't just like, but the gospel reaches for people. It grasps on to people. And I have to admit that last week when I heard that, I I caught myself thinking like, yeah, yeah, the gospel reaches for people. That is so good for those people. I failed to even consider that Jesus might be reaching for me too, also, constantly. The good news of Jesus is reaching for me. Jesus is reaching for me. Jesus is reaching for you. I'm quick to forget that the landscape of my life is actually a mission field for the Holy Spirit. Because there are places in my soul that are dedicated to idols, to warped ways of thinking, to control and power, to personal prosperity, and to a theology that keeps God in a very small place. 
I forget that even though that there are hindrances, it does not keep the Holy Spirit from doing the Holy Spirit's work. I forget that sometimes I need someone that joins with the Spirit to go on a missionary journey in me to help me attend to the places that are walled away from access to God. My counselor is a gifted co-laborer with the Spirit of God in those places for me. My spiritual director was too. And though I have a literal Paul in my life, grateful for you, by the way, I wonder if there are people in your life, an Apostle Paul, if you will, who have partnered with the Holy Spirit in mission that has impacted you personally, has gone to places in your life, in the map of your soul that has changed you personally. Let me reiterate what I did before. In regards to your own life and your own ways of thinking and believing and processing and being in the world, there is no place that the Spirit is not already. There is no place that the Spirit is not already. In other words, the Spirit is already in the places that you feel hindered. If your own life is is a mission field for the Holy Spirit, I wonder where the Holy Spirit is already and you just haven't realized it yet. I wonder if there is an Apostle Paul in your life who might go with you there. I wonder who might help you access the Spirit of God there. I wonder also then how you might be partnering in the work of the Spirit for someone else's spiritual mapped life. It wouldn't be that you would just tell this person something or or bring them something or do something for them. No, but you would allow the Spirit of God to direct you to the place and places where your being is exactly needed in mission with the Holy Spirit for that other person, or for those other people. This calls to mind one of uh, my favorite scenes of a TV show ever. It's a beloved uh, late 90s, early 2000s drama. Leo McGarry is the chief of staff in the show The West Wing. Anyone seen this show? Three of you. Good. Let me tell you about it, and you can go home and watch the whole thing. You'll love it. The West Wing is a drama about, about um, a fictional presidency and his staff and, and the work of politics uh, that go around running a country. And Leo McGarry is talking with one of his co-workers, Josh Lyman, who is the deputy chief of staff, about a, a current struggle that Josh is in personally, unrelated to his work. But he is stuck and he is hindered. And it's interesting because Leo knows this kind of hindrance really, really well. We hear that about his story as his character develops. And so in this conversation that they're having, Leo shares a a parable with Josh. Leo says this, this guy's walking down a street and, and he falls into a hole. The walls are so steep he can't get out. 
A doctor passes by, and, and the guy shouts up, Hey, you, can you help me out? The doctor writes a prescription, throws it down into the hole, and moves on. Then a priest comes along, and the guy shouts up, Father, I'm down in this hole. Can you help me out? The priest writes out a prayer, ugh, throws it down into the hole, and moves on. Then a friend walks by. Hey, Joe, it's me. Can you help me out? And the friend jumps into the hole. Our guy says, are you stupid? Now we're both down here. And the friend says, yeah, I've been down here before, and I know the way out. The Apostle Paul went where the Spirit of God was already, having experienced freedom from the things that hindered him before. And because he experienced that freedom, he was uniquely set to go with the Spirit to Ephesus and to Corinth to free them from those things. He was the friend who got down into the hole and he was given the task of testifying to the good news because he knew the hole and he knew what the Holy Spirit could do. He knew the way out. I wonder, are, are you the friend right now? Are you the friend in the hole or are you the friend that's walking by that's been in the hole before? I wonder if you are the kind of person that can assess the hindrances that you've dealt with in your life. I wonder if you had someone go into the hole with you and help you out. I'm certain that you have had experiences being in the hole and people just threw prescriptions at you or they threw prayers at you. But no one got into the hole with you. Are you being invited to go into the hole? You know, we plan uh, worship services, and we pray that the Holy Spirit would be in the planning. And I heard afresh this morning our scripture reading. It was from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and it was verses 3 and 4. I want to thank our scripture readers this morning for doing such a faithful job with it. Hear this again. Paul writes to the people in Corinth, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we, uh, this is now verse 5, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. For Paul, walking with Jesus, journeying with God, moving with the movement of the Holy Spirit was the most wild thing. And it's true for us as well. And it took Paul to places he never expected. And it's going to take us to places we've never expected. Not just places on a map, but places in our own souls. And perhaps, I pray, Places in the souls of others. And while it might take us to places with others, it might also take us to places in ourselves. 
And then you may end up back in a place that you have been freed from. You might choose to go back into that place, partnering with the Spirit of God to free others from that same hindrance that hindered you for so long. Because the Spirit of God is already there. And sometimes the Spirit of God invites a partner to go with, so that all might be free, so that all might be unhindered. This is the invitation from Jesus for us. Would you pray with me? Jesus, of course we want to be free. Of course we want to get out of the hole. Sometimes we can't do that by ourselves. And so, God, would you send us a missionary? Would you use us as missionaries? Would we go with the leading of your spirit to places the spirit already is so we don't need to be afraid, but that we might help people out of the holes they are in, that we actually might be freed from the holes we're in, God, help us if we're stuck in holes to ask for help, to call out to people, to ask a friend. And God, if we are the one being called out to, would we just not throw prayers that way, but would we get into the hole? Would we be partners in the mission with the Holy Spirit? Would we come to this table to receive food for that kind of journey? And would that food be a gift to us and to all those we serve? In Jesus' name, amen.